Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and madam, we must have waffles. We must all have waffles forthwith. We must all think, and we must all have waffles. My Lord, he done just what he said. Let your light, let the light out, shine on me. If it's something that's really well done the first time, it's not broken, stop trying to smash it. Let your light. I'm always intrigued to see what it is that people are going to do with something that's already been done before. I hate remakes. I love remakes. Welcome, everybody, to part two of I Hate Love Remakes, episode 14. I am Noel, and joining me, as always, is Evie. I tried playing a stand-up bass at home once, and I caught myself on fire. Was it like an electric bass with bad wiring? No. I'm just magical like that, Noel. Just magical like that. How long did it take the burns to heal? Uh, less than you'd think. Oh, good. You used aloe, right? Yeah. Good. Hey, Actually, I, I, think uh, it... I tried playing a stand-up bass at home, and I caught myself on, on fish. Fish. <laughs> I love you, Tessa. <laughs> Never leave me. Yes, joining us once again, it's Tessa. Never leave me! The magical flight of whimsy that is Tessa. I'm here. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Tessa? I'm good. Well... Since we all did introductions in part one, we might as well go ahead and dive into part two here. Evie, you want to tell us what we're covering? Um, what we're doing, uh, Fright Night. Uh, <laughs> no, that's in July. Yeah, that's not even funny. We're doing The Lady Killers from 2004 that was directed by the Coen Brothers. The Coen Brothers. And they wrote it. And what do we all think of the Coen Brothers? I have a fairly tempestuous relationship with them. You know what? I like Fargo. That's it. That's all I got. And Big Lebowski's pretty cool. I love Big Lebowski. I don't think I've actually seen that many of their movies, but what I have seen, I've liked. I love Big Lebowski. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art That was one of theirs, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that movie. Really like this one. And I think those are the only three of theirs that I've seen. I think I've seen so probably about two-thirds of their movies. And the only one I didn't like was The Man Who Wasn't There. Other than that, I love Raising Arizona. I love Miller's Crossing, Hudsucker Proxy, Fargo, Big Lebowski. Intolerable Cruelty is even a fun little romantic comedy. No Country for Old Men, I think, is one of the best films of the last decade. I really like their style. I love how they really have seemed to like incorporate everything that's been done in cinema before them and kind of refashioned it into their own style. I like the Coens. I think they're intelligent. I think they're meticulous. I think they get a little dry at times. And even when I don't entirely like their film, I find it interesting. And I liked Fargo and The Big Lebowski. And that's it. Have you seen No Country for Old Men? No, I have not. But mostly because I want to read the book first. So. Oh, yeah. Why don't we go ahead and jump into the synopsis? Okay. Uh -huh. All right. In Saucier, Mississippi, elderly widow Mrs. Marva Munson rents out a bedroom to the strangely poetic Goldthwaite Higginson Dorr, Ph.D., who asks if he may use the root cellar for his Renaissance musical ensemble to rehearse. What she doesn't know is that the band is really a gang of robbers who plot to use her earthen basement to tunnel into the nearby underground offices of the local riverboat casino and relieve the establishment of their earnings. 
The group consists of Gawain McSam, a foul-mouthed gangsta working as a janitor at the casino, Lump Hudson, a dim-witted football player who excels at getting tackled, The General, a donut store owner and expert tunneler who may have a history with the Viet Cong, and Garth Pancake and his life partner Mountain Girl, second-rate demolitions experts working as prop masters in the commercial industry. After a number of trials, they succeed in stealing the money, only for Mrs. Munson to catch them red-handed. She wants them to return it and pray for forgiveness at church, but they instead decide to kill her. As they each try, one by one, they end up dead, until every one of the criminals is a corpse on a garbage barge, headed towards a grave on an islet dump. Mrs. Munson tries to tell the sheriff about the money, but he's come to dismiss her constant reports and tall tales and tells her to keep it all. Instead, she donates it to the Bob Jones University. Evie, do you recommend this movie? Yes. But? I... <laughs> I that was a yes that sounded like a no. Yeah, I'm like, I think <laughs> I like this movie. I don't get it. Serious, like, this is me watching the entire movie going like, I don't understand. I want to like you movie, but I don't understand you. Make me understand you. I want to be your friend, but I just I it's don't okay. understand. It's okay. It's okay. Why didn't it work for you? <sighs> It's just missing that dark whimsy that the first one had. And I'm just like watching this going, it's, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, like, I like the characters and like it should all work. But for some reason, it's like the exact opposite of things that should not work for me in Assault on Precinct 13 that did. And here are things that should work for me that don't. And I just, I, I'm so confused. <laughs> it's like a boner, but I'm so disappointed. It's like you want to recommend it, but you don't know if you can. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I just watched. <laughs> it's either art or, you know, a West End musical, and I'm not really sure what just happened. All right, well, let's try to break it down in the discussion when we get to it, because it's, it's <laughs> definitely so going to be an interesting film to discuss. I'd be so confused. So, Tessa, do you recommend this movie? I do recommend this movie. This is actually exactly what I love seeing in remakes, especially remakes of movies that I also like. It keeps the basic idea of the story and actually keeps a lot of the same points in the story, but it changes a lot and makes it kind of its own thing. I like the characters. The tone maybe gets a little darker in this one than I like, but it's still a very good balance between the heaviness of the dark moments and the comedy that comes with it. There's parts that this one pulls off better than the original, I think. There's also parts that don't quite work as well, but we'll get into those later. And yeah, overall, I think it's totally one worth watching. I also recommend the movie. I think, if anything, the problem with it is the language. This is a film that didn't really need to be an R-rated movie, but simply because they wanted to include swearing as an element of the characters and of the culture of the setting that pushed it over to an R-rated movie, and I think that kind of gives it a bit more of an edge that it didn't need. But other than that, as Tessa said, this is how I think remakes should be. You take the concept, you take the heart of what the original film was, and then you make it your own. And this one just, it builds this whole Mississippi culture to it. I love the new spin on all the characters. I love how it isn't afraid to completely redo the entire cast. And while, it, while some of the characters have brief elements that mirror characters from the original, it isn't afraid to make them completely their own people and, and really let them play off and take the story in some new directions and add some new angles and twists to it. 
I love the Coen brothers style. I love the way they shoot. I love the way they edit. I love the way they write. I love their dialogue. It's just everything fits so perfectly into place. And like the other film, it's so meticulous in the way everything that happens is so perfectly set up before it happens, yet it's still played somewhat subtly so that there are still some surprises and some twists. I think it's a wonderful film. So let's open the floor to discussion. I do have to agree with you on the language thing. There, It was one of those things that it felt... Forced? I don't know about forced. It was it, it felt they, natural, but it didn't feel needed. Right, exactly. Like it, it didn't feel like they were faking anything, but at the same time, it really didn't need to be included. And I think the majority mm-hmm. of it is the character played by Marlon Wayans. Yeah, go on, Gwen McChamp, uh, Gwen Mc, Gwen. I'm just gonna say Gwen. <laughs> but uh, Gwen McSam. Yeah, I. Yeah, I can say it. It wouldn't roll out for me. I'm sorry, my tongue is different than yours. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> exactly. Um, obviously they were trying to do that because, you know, they're adding that air of the urban youth and he's trying Mm -hmm. to be cool and he's trying to upstand everyone. And you don't need to have him drop the F-bomb in like every other line to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. Though, if you've ever heard any teenager talk, every other word is the F-word. Well, yeah, and that's why I said it doesn't, doesn't feel forced at all. It feels real. It feels real, but I think it is still somewhat holding the film back a little. Yeah. It adds this little bit of weight to the film. Like, this should have been a film that, you know, someone could have gone to see with their grandma, someone who liked the old film. Oh, yeah, easily. If you had grandparents who liked the old film, I hesitate to have them watch this because of that element. Yeah, I mean, if you were to remove that, like, that's really the only thing keeping this movie from being PG-13. And there's nothing that it would remove of his character. There's nothing that it would remove of his persona. Or Yeah, you could still have that character work without overplaying. Yeah, you just don't need to go that far. Right. It doesn't hurt the movie that much. I think it, it it doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be there. Exactly. I mean, there is some violence, but none of the violence is especially graphic. Or there's the severed finger, but even that's kind of played for laughs. That's played for comedy. Yeah. That's played very exactly. Much it's for not laughs. terribly gruesome. Yeah, you don't actually see it happen. Exactly. It's only really the swearing bits. Mm-hmm. The one bit where it works and it's funny is when she goes in and starts complaining to the sheriff because they're playing rap music that uses the N-word. Yeah. That's funny. And it fits there. I love that she'll only say it once, and she says it again. Yes. And and I love don't that ask me to say like, it a second time. And then she, <laughs> she says it, and then kind of like recoils and and like reacts to herself saying it. Mm-hmm. You can have him swear in front of her because then you get that great scene where she starts smacking him around for swearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to go as far as it did and as constantly as it did in order to sell that character of who he yeah. is. In their strive for authenticity, they added a weight to this film that hurt it ultimately. Yeah, you didn't need the constant swearing. You didn't need the sexual references. Uh, I mean, it works fine for the character, but I agree with you that it, I think, holds it back a little. I mean, and I don't have a problem with the character. I like that he's like the the Peter Sellers character. If he's the young hood who thinks he's all that, but he honestly doesn't have a clue. No, yeah, I agree with that. And it works because it's all this false bluster. And then especially when you get this sudden backstory when he goes to kill the old woman, he flashes back to his mother. Right. And how he comes from an abusive home and you suddenly feel kind of bad for him because he was beaten for trying to have a puppy. Yeah. It really like explains his character in just that one little moment. And then he's dead because of his bluster. Mm-hmm. It's a great character. I like it. And I usually hate Merlin Wayans, but I forgive the casting of him because we see him smacked around. <laughs> but no, he fits the character well, and I thought they did good things with it. It's just... Yeah, he's absolutely fine as the character. And, and It's just that they decided to be so authentic that it detracted from the overall experience. Mm-hmm. Or it made it hard to watch. 
I'm going to say something controversial. Go ahead. I like Marlon Wayans as an actor, like a dramatic actor. I don't, I don't dislike him either. The funny thing is that I can say dramatic actor and not burst out laughing. Oh, Requiem for a Dream, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, you watch him in that, and I'm like, why does he not get parts like that? But, I mean, that's the same problem I have with someone like Jack Black, who's amazing in King Kong, which eventually we'll cover. Mm-hmm. And yet he keeps getting stupid comedies. And I'm like, but he's so good in drama. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any problem with him. Here's the thing. Marlon Wayans, even in G.I. Joe, he seems like the actor who melds with the material the best. He's actually the actor who probably gives the best performance in the entire film of G.I. Joe. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so, I've seen it. I don't remember it. So I'll take your word for it. Awful film. It won then Dungeons and Dragons, the movie. Nobody saw that. I did. I actually kind of <laughs> like it. That's because you're pretty normal. No, that's because I love Justin Whelan. That too. I'm almost wondering if what the Coens did was that they put in, not for just for authenticity, but also they put in the swearing because that way they knew they would get an R rating, at which point they wouldn't have kids going to see it. But I don't think there's anything really in this film that, like, let's say an 11 or 12-year-old kid can't see, other than the swearing. I could see the finger thing being a thing. Well, but how is that any worse than what's in like in the Adams Family movies? Oh, I don't, I don't think it is either. I'm just saying no. that I, I could see that being a I concern. think they play the finger lightly enough. I mean, I think the only bit is mainly when he's like holding the bloody hand. But even then, everyone else is playing it up so comical that it's not that devastating of a sequence. Right. No, well, I'm th- thinking more in terms of they didn't want kids to see it. But why? Not whether they should. This is like what we had in The Fog is, why don't you want kids to see it? No, but I'm thinking in terms of like what Robert Altman did with Gosford Park, which is he put it in the swearing so he knew he'd get an R rating. Because he's like, kids aren't going to get this. Yeah, but Maybe this that's is... why they did it, because they didn't think kids would get it. So they're like, well... I don't see why kids wouldn't. It's a very colorful, kind of over-the-top, exaggerated movie. There's nothing really about it that I don't think kids no, would No, I didn't get it. <laughs> okay. I'm smart. Shut up. <laughs> Well, you are the kid of the group, but... I am not the kid in the group. Well, emotionally. I thought was me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the kid in the group. Well, I didn't mean age-wise. I'm not just immature. I'm mature, damn it. I do lots of mature Tess things. This is the kooky aunt. But wait, what? I'm mature. Sure you are. There, there's going to be like 20 minutes of me going, I'm mature. Shut up. I can be mature. I have a driver's license. <laughs> it takes a certain level of maturity to get a driver's license. I, I understand what you're saying, but even if they did it just because they wanted an R, that still doesn't really make sense. And a filmmaker doing something that doesn't make sense? Wow, what a novel concept. If that's the reason for doing it, then I question them for, well, why was that your reason? So, why don't we go ahead and talk about this central character, Marva Munson, played by Irma Pia Hall. I really like her. It's a very different character than Mrs. Wilberforce, but mm. she's a different... Formidable? Well, she's... <laughs> yeah, she's she's almost... formidable. I almost want to say she's a little more formidable than the yeah, other one. I was going to say, but... yeah, she's almost more formidable than, than Mrs. Wilberforce. She's a very spunky kind of religious... She's sassy. Um, sassy. Not that she's not innocent, but she doesn't have like that naivety that Mrs. Wilberforce did. She is a much stronger force in certain ways, where Mrs. Wilberforce was kind of... I don't want to say surprising, but she was a lot more subtle in... Oh, yeah. And this one, Mrs. Munson, you can feel her strength from scene one. You know that once she finds out what's going on, it's not going to go well. Right. Frankly, I think she could have kicked all their asses, but... Yeah. Well, and then you get that feeling, too. uh... And I like the way that they work her dead husband into things. 
Yeah. <laughs> the portraits. Was something that was in the original, but only kind of really got a brief nod in the original that it was not something that they did a whole lot with. With right. this one, it became a much more central part of her character. It's a little bit of a stretch that they pulled the old Preston Sturgis trick of the portrait changing expression. I love that. But that it's was, cute. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It was subtly, I've seen other people overplay that aspect. And this mm-hmm. one, it's just subtle enough that it works. Mm-hmm. It could have gone too far and it could have gotten silly. Right. And it, and it still was kind of silly, but I like that it was silly. It was. It was... It's actually almost like the changes in the expression are so subtle mm-hmm. that right. you're kind of thinking back like, well, maybe they didn't change it. Maybe it's just lit differently or something. There's yeah. the one where she almost goes for the excuse that GH gives her. And then she looks up at the portrait and it's scowling down at her. And it's that one. I kind of had to go back and look to see if they even did change it or if it was just the angle and the lighting, because that one is a really subtle change. Mm -hmm. Even then, is the portrait changing or is that just her perception? Right. You know, is that kind of more of an internalized thing? They did it a couple times when she wasn't. Well, yeah, like when the general was going up to kill her, too. And And it was played there and she was out of the scene except for being asleep in her bed. Well, maybe that also gives a presence to the, uh, you know, the original one, it was fate ended up in the end, saving her life. Maybe that is to kind of give a presence and a character to the fate that protects her ultimately. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like that. Because once again, in the end, the final character dies in a rather random way. Of a bird lands on a statue and causes the head to fall off. Mm Mm-hmm. I do like that she holds full-on conversations with his portrait. It's kind of what Mrs. Wilberforce had with the birds. Yeah. And I've known people who do things like that. It's a realistic thing for somebody who had somebody like that in their lives that has left. And all they're really left with is the memory of it. Exactly. What I love is that she's not a perfect character. She is a bit simple in the way she thinks, but they really get into that's the culture that she was raised in. You know, this is, you know, you go down to the Baptist church, you donate to Bob Jones University. That's the culture that she's in and she's believed in and she was raised to believe in. And it's never really treated like a detriment of her character. It's just that's, yeah, that's how she is. And they're never laughing at her for it. They're never laughing at her for it. They treat it in a way that, again, it's authenticity. Mm -hmm. It feels very authentic. Yeah. And I like that. It almost causes the audience, I I kind of did underestimate her a bit at first because of certain aspects of her character. You know, she is very dismissive of things that she doesn't understand. She very much believes in things that have been ingrained in her and stuff like that. But then when the cards fall, she really can be a rather sharp and perceptive character. Yeah. Well, you sort of underestimated her the same way that maybe the Tom Hanks character and everyone else did. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, the film is putting the audience into the area of perception that that it wants them to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. In order to play on their perceptions. And the original film did that quite well, too. So it's interesting that I do think they really did capture that aspect of the original. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go ahead and talk about Tom Hanks as Professor Door? He's not he as was... dark as Alec Guinness. No, he never saw the monster come out. Mm-hmm. No, I think he's a really fun character. He's still creepy, but it's not... It's, it's a, interesting it's how a... they turn him into Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a more subtle creepy than Marcus it was. It feels more real than the Nosferatu of the original. Right. Well, mm-hmm. Marcus looked like a monster from the start. And it was only in the end that they finally confirmed it. Right. GH is kind of out of time here. Yes. He acts like he's existing... He feels like a Mark Twain character in the modern day. He does. Mm-hmm. There's something a little unsettling about it, especially because he's got this really weird clash of trying to be very sophisticated, but also being very awkward. And it's less of a menacing creepy and more unsettling and not really belonging. He's uncomfortable to be around. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that he's a bad guy. It's just he's he weird. really doesn't fit in. 
yes, he's weird. It's it's a very eccentric. Um, I love it when, whenever he gets amused at something, he does that little sniffle laugh. Yeah, I swear to God, Jim Parsons heard that and used it as Sheldon's <laughs> yes, laugh yes, on Big Bang Sheldon Theory. Yes, yes, it's laugh. Yes, it totally. He actually does remind me a lot of the Sheldon character now that I think about it. <laughs> they do capture the kind of slimy charm of him, but what's interesting is you have that entire scene where he just talks about how much he loves books, the old books and the old tomes. Yeah. And it's one of those things with Marcus. You got the sense that he was playing a part towards Mrs. Wilberforce. He wasn't being genuine towards her with G. I mean, this guy has a sly common thing, but he still feels authentic. Right. He, he doesn't feel like he's hiding behind a faked persona. He, this is genuinely who this guy is. Well, the thing about the books that intrigued me, and the film never fully confirmed this, but it was just a theory I had, is that I don't think this guy is a criminal mastermind. No. This is a guy who basically spends his entire life reading these old tomes of an older era and just right. lives his life in a mimic of that older era. And he just had this random idea. Yeah, with the entire gang for this one, it does feel like they're all playing at being criminal masterminds as opposed to actually and They're not. None of them are criminals. They're all right. just people. And what I love is that he said that they responded to his want ad. Right. Yeah. What, what want ad do you put out to, do, would you want to help rob a Riverboat yeah, Casino? Like, how would you word that? I, I want to see what that ad actually said. Not even the mastermind is mm -hmm. a master criminal. Right. You feel like this is the first time he's ever doing something like this. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, as opposed to the other movie where the entire gang has... They're all thugs, them, yeah. Yeah, they're all criminals who have done these kinds of things before, and you just get the idea that these guys are kind of playing pretend. I mean, when he is left alone, the lone man out in the end, unlike the professor from the first one, I don't get the feeling that he's going to kill her. Right. No, definitely not. I get the feeling he's going to try to slip out. He does claim that he will do it if he has to. Well, but he claims that to the others. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, when it's just him and Lump at the end, he doesn't even bring it up as an option. It's just like, yep, now you're going to go kill her. But again, that's something that he can foist off on the other people because this is something that none of these people has ever done before with the right. exception of maybe the general. So none of these guys wants to kill anybody. Exactly. Even if he were left up to his own devices, I don't know that he would have. Right. Well, and there's also along the lines of the whole idea of pretending to be this criminal mastermind thing. It's also one of those things where he is almost kind of this faked sophistication and intelligence where he uses the largest words he can. And it almost feels like he's trying to play himself up as smarter than he actually this is. This is the sophistication that he's always read about in books. And right. he's trying to imitate that as much as he can. Yeah, exactly. It feels false, but it feels false in an authentic way of this is how this guy lives. His entire right life is an imitation. Yeah. There's nothing more to him as a person than that. He didn't invent this persona for this job. He that's him, he yeah. it for himself. Exactly. So it kind of makes you wonder what this guy's entire backstory is. Yeah, I mean, he it would just, have been really interesting to It's just such a strange, unique character. I want to believe that he's just like the colonel in real life. <laughs> and like, this is his side job. Well, how do you think they got KFC off the ground? <laughs> Exactly. But then fate intervenes and kills him too. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it was entirely necessary in this one. You almost feel like this is a character who he might even just walk off into the dark and just leave the money behind. Because everything think is I he was ever going to leave it behind. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think he was ever going to kill her. I, I don't think he would have left it. He might have tried to take it and then something would have happened. But I don't ultimately in the end imagine him killing her just to take it. Mm -hmm. I don't get that sense of desperation from his character. That's true. The only thing that bugged me slightly was towards the end where she gives him the option of returning the money and going to church with her. 
his repulsion and the idea of engaging in divine worship was almost a little much as far as like overplaying yeah oh my gosh Mm -hmm. he's an atheist well i mean again that's him like the intellectual and that's the false intellectual he's been keeping buried until this time right it does come off a little hollow yeah i i guess it works though because it's him slipping up but it still seems like an odd place for him to slip up instead of you know going like well of course we'll do that you know what i mean of course yeah that was like the worst thing he could have said at a time when he's trying to get her on his side. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. Well, it could also be that she flustered him with what she had come up with. Well, yeah, like I said, it, it is him slipping. But at mm-hmm. the same time, for somebody who has otherwise been kind of making a point of trying to stay on top of things, especially in that situation, it seemed like a weird place to slip up. Yeah, there are parts of his character near the end that don't quite add up. Mm-hmm. I think the only way they could have fully deserved the moment where he does end up dying as well to fate is if they had clearly established that, yes, he's going to walk in that house, he is going to kill her, and right. he is going to make off by himself. You just don't get the sense that this is a guy who's ultimately going to be able to do that. Yeah, he's yeah, more like he's all talk. You don't get that monster finally coming out. He's not anywhere near as scary as Marcus was. Yeah. Exactly. If he had done something in his encounter with Lump, Yeah. The worst thing he does is he calls him dumb. Yeah, and that's it. I don't know, because he hands him the gun, and the gun has no bullet in the first chamber, but a bullet in the second one. And that seems... He needed to actually kill Lump to get that sense of threat instead of Lump just shooting himself in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Though that is a funny moment, I think the story needed something more there. The feeling I got from that was that he set it up seeing that coming in, in advance. Yeah, I know. And that's a little bit. It's a little bit of a stretch to Mm -hmm. say that he would have been able to see that playing out exactly. But his reactions. Like, how do you know the guy wouldn't just pull the trigger a second time? Right. But like with his reactions to the whole thing, it feels like he knew it was coming. It didn't sell to me. Yeah, it's it's really it's a really strange. I think we're finding the bits where the film isn't quite working. here. Right, exactly. It doesn't completely undo the film, but it does. There are little bits that feel off. Right. I think that was them trying to give him that menace and it doesn't quite add up. What I do like is how serene his death is played when he falls down and his coat catches on the bridge and he's just hanging there silhouetted against the sunrise. And then when he falls, his coat takes off into the air flying with the birds. I did. Yeah, that was a uh, a really nice shot. Artistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we should mention the whole thing with the garbage barge. It's the greatest thing ever. (laughs) It made a lot more sense for them to be disposing of the bodies on that than the train. Yeah, it's something where they would just disappear and they wouldn't show up in a train. Right. My only problem is that with the legs sticking out, you know, people do go up and they have to throw the sacks around by hand. You'd think they would see these legs sticking out of them. Yeah. Well... Also, how often does a garbage barge go by? Obviously, every time someone dies. <laughs> They're like, oh, someone's dead, gotta go floating back. And then there's even that one where it's a barge towing a second barge. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> and the cat at the end. And yeah. Pickles, yeah. And Pickles goes <laughs> to the exact same spot and drops the last remaining piece of the criminals onto the garbage barge. Mm-hmm. That is a moment where it's a little over the top, but that captures a bit of the whimsy of the original. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I didn't have any problem with that. I thought that was... That, that was, was just a cute little thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck yeah, Pickles. He gets to keep the money. I love Pickles. <laughs> I love how she keeps yelling at everyone else for yelling Pickles out, even when she's the one who opens the door. Yeah. Right. You let Pickles out. <laughs> it's everyone else's fault but mine, damn it. Yeah. And I, I like that that plays into when she goes to the cops at the end. And then that, they're instantly like, oh, it's Pickles again. 
great. That's what this is all about. <laughs> My problem when she goes back to the cops at the end is in the original when she went to the cops, it was like with something completely ridiculous. So I kind of got why they were like really dismissive of her at the end. Whereas here. Well, but remember, she says it was that guy I was trying to introduce you to in that time when you were in my house and didn't see anyone else yeah. that I was talking to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he but he didn't she... even look under the bed. Well, but so... by his reactions, he thinks she's gone senile. Right. Mm. And then she mentions pickles again. And, and remember then, what I like is that when she goes in, they've got the phones are ringing off the hook because everyone's up in a panic about the whole 1.6 million that's suddenly gone missing. And right. it's yeah. like, oh, God, she's here again. Oh, yeah. it's pickles. She wants to. Do you think that they would look into that? At that uh. point, you know, I thought that they earned that pretty well, especially with that scene at the halfway point where he is hiding under the bed and she's trying to introduce the sheriff to him. It, I think the sheriff off. was just being a jerk for not even looking. You can humor someone, even if they are senile. He's being mean. Well, he was humoring her when he went into the house, when yeah. he went in the living room, when he got dragged upstairs. It gets to the point where he's no longer interested in continuing to humor her. Right. It gets to the point where it's under the bed and she's like, oh, here, look, he's hiding under the bed. And then it's like, okay, well, this is just your imaginary friend. I'm done. Yeah. They drew it out enough, I think, yeah. for me at least to sell it. Yeah, I, I agree. It didn't really work for me. Okay. Well, when we talk about Ryan Hurst's lump. <laughs> he's the kid from uh, Remember the Titans. Yes, he is. He's also on Sons of Anarchy now, but I remember him, like the thing I remember him from most is Remember the Titans. Yeah, same here. He's the one that has the most parallel that can be drawn to character from the original. I love the entire scene of his introduction where it's just him as an absolutely horrible football player done entirely from his point of view. I love it. As that. he's constantly knocked down with his feet going up in the air. <laughs> That was such a fun scene. I love it how they even say, we're going to throw the ball to you. He loses it and he's like reaching for it. And the other guy takes it and runs for the touchdown. I love that one guy who is always the one who's facing him, mm -hmm. just snarling. It's always the same football player. just. <sighs> <sighs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's the very clear parallel between him and, and one round. But they really play up his stupidity oh, to the point yeah. that when, when we're first meeting him, he's just staring there slack jawed. Yeah, it's it definitely. See, I don't know if up. it was supposed to be him being stupid or he's just been really concussed from playing. Yeah, I think he's ball. been knocked around so much his brain is loose. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, I think that's the point they were making by he's always tackled. Every yeah. single time he's on the field, he's tackled. It's almost a little awkward because he's concussed to the point that he's almost... Uh, Brain damaged. Yeah, he's almost mentally disabled. But then I love how they have little moments where he's the one who comes up with like, well, why don't we just bribe him? Yeah. <laughs> and I love how he's like, coach, coach. He just has the answer that nobody mm -hmm. really thinks of because it's, it's so simple. Yeah. Like in my head, I invented this whole backstory for him where and he was a really good football player and he's been tackled so many times and he has so many concussions that he's become this horrible football player now. And it was a really great backstory that I'd invented in my head. Maybe he wanted to be like a professional attorney and he got into the he, into college on a football scholarship and then he ended up getting knocked in the head so many times he failed at his thing. Yeah. Yeah. They really do a lot of suggesting to the backstory mm -hmm. of a lot of these characters, right. like the general. Let's move on to the general of, it's pretty damn obvious this guy worked for the Viet Cong do digging tunnels. They never mm -hmm. clearly say it outright, though. Right. And I love the actor. Yeah. yeah. I've seen him in a um, thing oh, that really comes to mind. Is it's The Quiet American. Mm, I haven't seen I it. I love how every time Mrs. Munson is around, he, he swallows the his cigarette in his mouth. His cigarette, yeah. cigarette. Which even, is totally even... a move from Greece. Yeah, but then they pay it off in the bit mm -hmm. where he swallows the cigarette and is choking on it. And it's burning his throat. Yeah. Right. 
he even puts a cigarette in his mouth when he's in the room with her, even though she's asleep. Because yeah. he just can't not have the cigarette with him. It's just such right. a part of his... It's like a limb for him. Mm-hmm. He cannot part with a cigarette. I loved his introduction scene with the guys trying to rob the donut shop. Yes, yeah. with the nose. Get your fingers out of my brother's nose! <laughs> And the guy he's doing that is one of the lead guys on Leverage. The guy who got the fingers up his nose. <laughs> I, I just love how it's these two guys who obviously have no idea what they're doing get this robbery turned completely around on them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, this is like first robbery ever for them, and it's not going the way they play. Well, and you can tell that they are terrified while they're doing it because, like, they're mm-hmm. sweating so hard, and, and, like, they just look scared while they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he is obviously, if anyone is the professional killer of this group, he is. And we actually oh, yeah. see that when he actually pulls out the garroting wire and kills people with it. Right. Mm-hmm. I almost expected... They could have, if they really wanted to have the monster come out, I would have had him be the last guy left at the end. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a nice Because he literally, once he kills Pancake and Mountain Girl, he should be a force to be reckoned with. He's definitely the most menacing out of the group. And everyone suddenly sees, oh shit, man, this guy is for real. Does yeah. he kill Mountain Girl? Yeah, because yeah, they throw two bodies in at the same time. But I thought the other body was uh, Gwaine's. No, well, no, because they, they threw in Gwaine's, and oh, okay. then there was the bit with Pancake and Mountain Girl. Oh, okay. And, well, the joke about Pancake and Mountain Girl is that you have these very hairy, obviously male legs, mm-hmm. and they drop them, and then they pick up another corpse that has the same very hairy, obviously male legs. Yeah. Clearly, I kind of spaced during that. So. Yeah, so I mean, there they were, were, you know, she's all natural. So it, they, they did mm-hmm. that as a joke of both of them have the same legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they kill Mountain Girl. See, I actually really like that idea, as far, like, especially because of the nature of them putting this together kind of out of nowhere and the idea of them kind of playing pretend at it. And then they accidentally, in the course of the whole thing, got a total monster in there with them. That actually would have been a really interesting way to end it. That's what they should have done is, is General should have been the last one left. He's the one who should have had the thing fall on because he's the only one who you know he's pushed to the point where he's going to see this through to the end. And that wouldn't be going against the Coen brothers thing of some right. character suddenly turns out to be an absolute psychopath and starts mowing down every single thing that gets in their way. And you get that whole thing where when he's the one who kind of says something definitive, they just kind of kill all the fall old woman. Yes. Because, yeah, because they don't want to disagree with him. Exactly. But even I love how dedicated he is, even when it just comes to finding the cat. He's just instantly up that tree. He's instantly (laughs) charging down that street. Well, it's because he's a ninja. Yeah. And I love it when Pancake and Mountain Girl are stealing the money. You know the moment he comes out that door, he's going to be sprinting full on towards them. And he is. I think that would have saved the climax to have him be the last man standing because you know she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Lump, you know he's not going to kill her. The professor, there's serious doubts as to whether or not he's going to be able to follow through on that. But if the general is the last man standing, she is dead. And literally the only way, thing that would prevent him from doing that is fates intervening and dropping something on his head. Which mm-hmm. happens really anyways. It's just that it happens before the other people die. Right. Yeah. And then his death is... Well, his death is because you have... Why would she have a cuckoo clock going off in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's... Unless that's... It doesn't make sense, but... But then again, that's not what kills him. It just causes him to swallow his cigarette. And then he freaks out when he drinks the dentures water. And then he trips over the cat and breaks his neck. Some people, like the people who live in the unit next to us, they have a grandfather clock that goes off every hour on the hour. Oh, yeah. Which is great, you know, when it gets to like 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> I can hear it through the wall and I'm like, I hate you. Hey, if my neighbors, if you guys listen to this, I hate you guys. If I ever snap, you're the first ones I'm taking out. I've gotten to the point now where I literally sleep with earplugs every night, so. Mm. 
which I love the bit with Lump where they're like, and we'll need you to wear some earplugs. Not yet, Lump. Not, Not yet, yet, Lump. <laughs> Not yet. Oh. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and talk about Garth Pancake and Mountain Girl, J.K. <laughs> Simmons and Diane Delano. I love Pancake. Oh, God. What I love is that he's like the only one who tries to weasel out like, I want a bigger share, I want a bigger share. Yeah. When he actually seems like he should be the most honest character of the group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even that, but he's like, I think I should be exempt from having to kill her because I blew off two of my fingers. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that. I love that scene where he's like, yeah, this stuff won't go off at all. You know, you could drop a match on it. You could hit it with a hammer. Boom. Boom. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I was waiting for that and they paid it off, which was awesome. I mean, he is such a guy who is dedicated to doing his job as best as he possibly can, even when he doesn't succeed in doing it that well. Even giving the dog mouth to mouth. (laughs) Where he gives it mouth to mouth. I love just that flop tongue and the great puppet on the dog. (laughs) And Bruce Campbell is the animal rights administrator guy. Yeah. And I like Mountain Girl. I almost wish she had been a little bit bigger of a part. Yeah. I do too. She, I, I wish that they hadn't dismissed her quite as much as they did. Yeah. I mean, she was there to play it off as a very specific joke, and it would have been nice to see a little bit more from that. I almost think the whole, he brought his bitch to the Waffle Hut was drawn <laughs> out way too much. Oh, yeah. 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 But that was like a lot of the bits that they had from Marlon Wayans. It's like, yeah, I know that y- we got the joke. It's like they introduce her, they establish her. And then we never, ever see her again until just before she dies. Right. I, because I had seen this movie when it first came out and I hadn't actually seen it again until just like yesterday, actually. Um, I had forgotten that she wasn't actually part of the main gang. I had mm-hmm. remembered her as actually right. being totally involved the entire And then when you get someone as memorable as Diane Delano to play her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they don't do much with her. Right. For some reason, I remembered like... I did, too, because it's been a little while since I've seen this one, too. And I yeah. like, I thought I remembered her being a bit of a bigger part. Yeah. Well, Maybe I, you yeah. guys are just writing a better movie where she has a bigger part. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think that's one of the drawbacks of this film is they set up this great... They obviously... I mean, what I love with Coens is they really get into all their characters and really mm-hmm. try to make them memorable and colorful and all that stuff. And it's like they, they set up this character and then don't do anything with her. Mm-hmm. Except use her... I think like the only punchline to her character is that she has hairy legs. Yeah. That's like ultimately the entire punchline of her character. That feels like they wasted a setup. I agree. Well, they've also got Pancake with his irritable bowel syndrome. And I'm like, is that the whole joke? Well, is that it? Like, what I like is how they set it up. They yeah. gradually set up. Then it becomes a problem during the heist. Mm-hmm. And then the final bit where you think he has irritable bowel syndrome. And then the camera moves and you see, no, he's being garroted by the general. Yeah. No, I already I knew he was being garroted by the general. Well, I thought he was getting like stabbed or something initially. But then you see the garroting line. No, I knew because the way that his head was kind of tilted funny, I'm like, well, that's a very odd angle mm. to be. I didn't think that they set it up that well. I think it was like I knew that as soon as they set it up during the heist, I'm like, OK, well, I know where this is going. Well, because they did set it up without actually explaining it earlier than that. Mm-hmm. You get the whole thing where his stomach starts rumbling oddly, mm-hmm. like prior to them actually explaining it. So they did have a little bit of setup, and it was it was just a lot more subtle than actually before they well, came out. Well, but then you it. think that it playing out in the robbery is going to be the only payoff for that. But then they do do that payoff during his death. Yeah. I don't think they set it up that well, the end. Yeah. I think they set it up well, and they gave it a payoff. I think the thing is, they set up the idea that him and Mountain Girl met at an IBS group or something like that. What would have been interesting is if they included her in the story, is if they had kind of developed synchronized stomach cramps the way that, yeah. that some... 
you know, female friends develop simultaneous periods. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm remembering her as playing a larger part in the story, I was actually thinking that that was something that had happened in yeah. the movie. But it, it wasn't. Yeah, it's weird how she is just such a great presence, Diane Delano. And she really does leave a lingering memory. So, yeah, it is. I, I agree with you. I thought I remembered her playing a bigger part, too. Mm-hmm. I think that the IBS would have worked better had they done something like that. Then I wouldn't have a problem with it, really. And also, it's worth mentioning, I have a huge crush on Diane Delano. So if anything well, could benefit from more of her. So. <laughs> well, she is really, really awesome. So She is. But then I do like the whole setup of he seems to be this expert who knows everything about demolitions and it often doesn't work. Yeah. Well, it's it's the, <laughs> the setup that like the introduction that DH actually gives for him is that he's their jack of all trades. And then he makes a point of saying but that master he's, master, of none. he's yeah. a master of none of them. And that's yeah. kind of how it plays out is that like he's the one who's got all this technical knowledge. He just actually he just happens to suck at it. But then what's interesting mm-hmm. is like the whole bit when the bomb fails to go off to collapse the tunnel. When he goes yeah. out into the timer, all he has to do is tap the side of it and it starts yeah. going again. <laughs> but then he has to like run in like 13 seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I love how it blows up and the money is just all over the room. Yeah. yeah. So there's like no way that she wouldn't see it when she comes out and that's what she sees. It's a very different reveal as far as the way that they get caught because like... It's not the strap in the door, yeah. Right. Yeah. In the original, it's a very subtle, very... If one thing had gone slightly differently, they would have gotten away. With this one, it's, I mean, something still goes wrong, but considering the timing, it was going to go wrong regardless because she was already home. Here's my problem with that moment is they don't know that she's home, but in an old house like that, you're going to hear someone walking around upstairs, especially when they have the moment where they're all just standing there with the champagne glasses. You're going to hear her walking around upstairs. It doesn't quite make sense that they are surprised by the fact that she's home. Right. Well, that, and it's like, she's not a light woman, so you, <laughs> no. you would hear her. Oh, by the way, I love her bow-legged walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. As we're talking about this movie, I'm starting to find more and more holes that I didn't pick up on before. I am too, actually, yeah. I, I still think the movie really works well, but we are starting to find little moments that don't quite fit together. Right. Where the original was a really strong, really solid Uh, The original, yeah, I almost want to say it had flaws, but the more I try to poke those holes, they aren't that big of holes. This one has a few holes. that work in its favor, whereas this one has flaws that don't work in its favor. Exactly. This one has flaws that don't work in its favor, or even just choices that don't work in its favor. Yeah, it's still a very enjoyable movie. It's not so much that there's a flaw to Tom Hanks' character, but the choice of what they do with his character robs him of the threat at the end. Like, right. it's not so much that the Marlon Wayans character is a flaw, but the choice they do to make him so authentic detracts the movie by making it uncomfortable to watch. It's mm-hmm. less that it's bad in and of itself and more that it could, like, we can see that it, it could have been so much better. You can understand why they did it, but in doing it that way, they're kind of detracting from the overall whole. Right. And with the Tom Hanks character, I'm almost wondering, like, were they just going off the fact that, you know, no one wants to see Tom Hanks play a bad guy? I don't know about that. It would have been interesting to have Tom Hanks actually bring a monster out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I agree there. Maybe they tried it and it wasn't convincing and they had to change something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to look into more details about the making of it. Well, what's interesting is that the Coen brothers wrote this but didn't initially intend to direct it. It was originally supposed to be directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who was their former cinematographer, who then became a director in his own right. And he did Men in Black, the Addams Family movies, Big Trouble, stuff like that. 
But then he had to bow out of this because of scheduling conflicts. Since the production had already been pulled together and the cast had already been partially assembled, the Coens just decided to step in and direct it themselves. So there are a lot of elements that feel a lot like a Barry Sonnenfeld film more than it does a Coen Brothers movie. Mm Because he does have this really kind of odd sensibility to him in terms of the way things look, in terms of the way the story plays out. And I almost wonder if he had made some changes to the script that then they decided to just keep, or I don't know. It's strange. Mm -hmm. Could be, yeah. There's this kind of error of something's fishy here. This entire Mm -hmm. film is like The Professor. There's something fishy here. Right. That kind of works in its favor, though, because it fits the tone of the material. Yeah, there, there is actually, it's, it kind of... Um, I hesitate to call it a flaw. Yeah. Because it adds this interesting atmosphere to things. Yeah. It's an unusual film, but the original was an unusual film, too, and it pretty much nails that, that atmosphere to it. Yeah, it's actually kind of going into what Evie said at first, which is that stuff that should be really grabbing and... I don't know. I I still really like this movie, and I do think that overall it's still a very strong one, and still one that is totally worth watching. Oh yeah. Now that we're poking holes in it, though, it's it. There are some things that don't quite. I don't think they detract from enjoying the film. Yeah. But when you really start to think about it, it's elements that don't quite fall into place the way they they feel like they should be. Mm-hmm. So well, why don't we just take a moment to talk about the robbery itself? Which I like the idea of the robbery of it's just a simple thing of we're just going to tunnel into the room and then he's just going to re-brick and re-plaster the wall real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so simple and yet it's it works. Yeah. I do like that it's the reason that they pick this house specifically is because they're going to use it. The earthen root cellar, the, yeah. Yeah, the root cellar to tunnel through. It actually has nothing to do with Mrs. Munson at all as, as a person. Exactly. Uh, it's just it, that she happens to be the one who has this house. Yeah, you know, that's actually a good point, because in the original, they picked her as a personality. Right. And in this one, it's the location. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that you think the thing that's going to make the heist go wrong is the irritable bell. It's interesting how the, the only guy who really screws up the heist both times is Pancake. Yeah. Damn you, Pancake! The irritable bowel <laughs> syndrome and then not laying the explosive right. Right. Everything else plays out perfectly. I just realized Pancake at the Waffle House. Funny. <laughs> I picked up. No, okay. Yeah. I am so um, easy to please sometimes. I didn't pick up on that either. On the lines of like just the casino in general, I I love Walter K. Jordan as Elrond. Mm-hmm. Who's he the one? Was he the one who just kept laughing? Yeah. Every scene mm-hmm. he's in, he's, he's just he's, laughing. He's just laughing. Yeah. And then I love the bit where he's actually looking serious because he hears the explosion. Yeah. And then I'm like, did you fart? And he just starts laughing again. Yeah. I love the look on on Gwen's face, like, when that goes off, and he's just like, uh... I didn't do it. (laughs) Such such a guilty look on his face, and then because that security guard happens to be who he is, he gets with it. He's just, fine, yeah, let's move on. (laughs) Just kind of funny, I'm actually on the IMDb page right now, and Walter K. Jordan's picture on there for, like, his little profile is him laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is is when that moment where he's looking serious, it's like uh-huh. is that the same actor? Because <laughs> because you know he doesn't have his face all up in a laugh, you know. Right. Yeah. I don't think there was a single scene he showed up in that he wasn't laughing. No, and that's they established, they established, they established, and then the one moment of truth, and he does exactly what his character should do. Yeah. And I like the Stephen Root character too as the manager. Yeah. I love that. I'm like, do you have my well, it's Stephen Root. I, I mean, that, started... that's why the Coen brothers slip him into almost every one of their films now. So, 
And I just started yelling office space quotes at the TV and was like, do you have my red stapler? I can set this building on fire. Oh, you see, I already <laughs> knew him long from news radio before I saw office space. I really oh, I liked too. The, I really liked the scene where he's getting bribed. It's the box of chocolates with the I'm sorry card with a hundred bucks in it. Yeah. And he, he, at first he's like, what is this? And then he opens the card and then he kind of gets a start and then closes it again and then slowly opens it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually really like this scene also where Marlon Wayne says, you're just firing me because I'm black. And he says, <laughs> look, the entire rest of the custodial staff is black. The guy who worked there before you was black. The guy who's going to work there after you was black. <laughs> of, again, the Marlon Wayans character so wanting to impress and be like over the top cool. He just can't accept when he screws up. Right. It's always someone else's fault. My stepbrother's like this a lot of whenever he does something wrong, it's someone else's fault for it. Mm-hmm. I just found that amusing, especially the bit where he's just following the woman through the casino. Oh, yeah. my God. Like yelling just stuff. Just put on one butt cheek. Just slap them together a bit. Uh, yeah. Make him clap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you just yelled at someone? Yeah, right in the middle of the casino, all the customers around. Okay, I yeah. want to know, guys who do that, has that ever worked? Was there a time <laughs> in the history of the universe where that ever worked where a girl was like, sure. Well, sadly, I mean, there it probably must have been because they keep but, doing it. <laughs> hey, if, if women can sleep with the guys on Jersey Shore, then yeah, it probably has happened. Women sleep with those guys? You're lying. You're lying. No, uh, no. Well, but lying. then again, yeah. look you're at lying. the type you're of lying. women we're talking about, too, on Jersey Shore. You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. I just, no, okay? That, and no. I love that he has the big necklace with the dollar sign. That was awesome. <laughs> and I love the bit in the Waffle House where he pulls his gun. And just the ridiculous gangsta way he's holding the gun yeah. with like he two fingers. He's sideways. He's serious. It's like two sideways with two fingers. The moment that goes off, it's going to fly off into the window. Yeah. I love the score where it's just bringing oh the old, yes, the yes. old is, gospel is music. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only part that I, I could have done without was the rap number like halfway through, but I don't like raps. So and that's probably why. Oh, yeah. There was that during the heist, they did like a remix where they took one of the old gospel songs and then they took a rap song and they kind of mm-hmm. mixed them in and out. It, yeah, I can understand if that's not your kind of music, but I, I thought they used it well. I didn't think it was bad and I didn't think it was poorly done. I just It's just not my kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, just, that's more just my own personal thing. Right. So. Any final thoughts on this movie? I think it is interesting that, Tessa, at least you and I really recommended this movie. But as we're talking about it, we're finding little things that don't add up. Yeah. And I'm still not sure what I saw. It's either Marxism <laughs> in action or West End musical. Okay. <laughs> I like okay. to quote Doctor Who sometimes. Shut up. I don't understand. <laughs> it's from The Empty Child. Oh. Best quote. I love that quote. Uh, yeah, I still don't know what I saw. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was good, but I don't know really what I saw. You recognize quality, but you just couldn't click with it? Yeah, it's like my brain is so confused. It's like, well, I know it was good, but my, I, I don't. I don't know what it was. It's like, you know it was good, but you're still not sure if you liked it. Yeah. I need an adult, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, maybe like the first one, maybe it just needs a second viewing. That could be it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's really going to get one. Okay. Well, I mean, if it's on TV at some point, I'll watch it then. Maybe. I Like, I can't bring myself to say that I like it any less, even after, like, going over no, yeah, the neither plots. do I, yeah. But, yeah, it's something that, it's just, it's, it is interesting, like you said. It like, does have structural flaws that are starting to come to the surface. Yeah, that weren't initially apparent. Doesn't make the structure any less enjoyable to look at, mm-hmm. but you can still see the flaws in its construction. Right. 
I do like Tom Hanks just loving Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yeah. The character. It's oh, such well, that, a funny little thing. Best. What I love is that when he quotes that one bit to Ms. Munson, she mm-hmm. doesn't get it. And she's like, what the hell? Who's this Helen? Is she like a horror battle? Yeah. <laughs> but then when he does the quote before the tea party, they're like really caught up they in it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was another scene I love where well, you bring up your instruments, you're going to play before our tea party. Yeah. And they're like, well, I love that she still missing- thinks that they are musicians at that point. It's like, we're missing one of them, so we can't really do it. But here's a poem instead. <laughs> here's a poem, right. and then Gwen shows up. And then just is like, what? <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and move into the final question then? If you had to pick one of these two films to watch once a year, every year for the rest of your life, which would it be? Evie? I want to go last. Okay, Tessa. Um, it's interesting because, like, I honestly didn't know going into this what my answer to this question was going to be. But I think after having talked about it, I'm going to have to go with the original with the added comment that I probably would watch this one maybe once every other year. I actually really enjoyed watching them in conjunction with one another. Oh, definitely. Actually, I wouldn't mind watching them back to back. This is one of those great ones where the original and the remake make for a great double feature. They do. Yeah, it's it was really fun going between the two. So can I say both? <laughs> no, you can't because... Uh-huh. Well, I mean, just because we're saying that doesn't mean you can't ultimately like the other one as well. <laughs> but you but actually no, have to pick if one. You were, if you were told... If I, if I had to pick one and the other one would never exist ever, then I still have to go with the original. But again, that doesn't mean that I don't like the remake because I think it's still totally worth watching and totally worth watching more than once. I honestly don't have a clue which one to pick. Because <laughs> I See, really I enjoy have, both of them. I have the same exact problem. While, yes, there are more construction flaws in the remake, they're small things. And they're small things that, you know, it took conversation and whatnot to really settle on and, and work out what they were. And there's so many aspects of the remake that I kind of like a little better than the original. I just like how much more colorful and flamboyant the characters are. Yeah, that is one thing that, like, the characters have much... Um... I think the entire group is more memorable in the remake yeah, than they are in the say, original. I would agree with that. They have much stronger personalities. They're way more over the top the entire time. But they're still so heavily constructed characters that they feel like, yeah, I could actually find a person like this who exists in real life. These characters would have been fun to see Peter Sellers actually try to play. Yes. <laughs> and that's not to knock the characters in the original, because the original, no. they are much simpler characters, but they still do hold their own. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have a very hard time figuring out which characters I actually like more between the two. As I, I, I defaulted to the original just because, and, but that comes with being a Herbert Lom and Peter Sellers fan. Um, but at the same time, like I can't quite bring myself to say that I liked one or the other more. And then I also like the added element in the remake of these aren't criminals. These are people do, who have yeah. never committed a crime before, with yeah. the exception of the general. Ah, uh, See, I want to. I almost kind of want to take my answer back. <laughs> I think <laughs> ultimately like, I I'm going to have to pick the remake. I think because I'm also settling on because I've seen both these films in the past. I saw them both around the same time when the mm-hmm. remake came out, and this one stuck with me more than the original did. The original stuck with me, but I forgot most of the ensemble cast aside from the Herbert Lom and and the, the Alec Guinness character, mm-hmm. and I'd forgotten a lot of little elements. But this one, I really remember. This one stuck with me. Or remembered it and remembered things that weren't there. <laughs> yeah, and well, or my my memory latched onto things. Well, I remembered small elements that then I kind of elevated. Right. It's 
ultimately I'm going to go with the remake. It's not to knock the original film, but I think there's more going on in the remake. And I like that there's so many more layers to these people. It's just so much more strange and odd and a little more whimsical than the original. It has problems, but ultimately I just really got it. It hooked me more than the original yeah, I think did. It's, it, it's there's something to the fact that I I have changed my answer in my head like three times yeah. since actually giving it. Like I I honestly cannot decide. They're both really good movies, and they're both really strange, unique movies. Mm-hmm. And they really do play off each other. Really, I mean, if we could pick both, I would say this is a perfect double feature. But ultimately, picking one, I'm going to have to go with the remake, just because I found myself a little more drawn into it, and the memory of it lingers more with me. It sticks with me more. Mm-hmm. So, Evie, you're last up. God damn it! I was hoping that you guys would be able to like. You'd say something, and then I'd like figure well, out. I picked from one, there. and she picked one, then picked another, then picked <laughs> yeah, another. So. Either one of you is really helping me, though. <laughs> well, that's that's what's great about this episode is that this is one of those cases where on this remakes podcast, both of them are really great and worthy movies. Yeah, but we can't really decide. Was the original better than the remake, or was the remake better than the original? Well, this is one of those cases where they take the source material and they really do make it their own. That and they do they, it successfully too. Yeah. yeah. To the point where it's like they're both equally well made. Yeah. And I know you didn't entirely get into the remake, but I know that you didn't entirely get into the original either. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I might actually benefit from a second viewing of the remake because I did with the original too. So. So, but it's interesting (sighs) though that these films, what's great about the remake is it's not just about taking the bits of the plot, but it really did capture the entire feel of the original film. Yeah. The entire sense of the original film, the, why the original, and not just what was the story that made the original work, but what was the feel that made it work. And you and me, Tessa, we both liked both of them for much mm-hmm. the same reason. And Evie, it seems like neither one of them is fully working for you, but still for much the same reason. Mm-hmm. They both have that same atmosphere to them. Yeah. I will say that I think I like the, I'm trying to think of how to put it the level of darkness, I guess, to uh, that the original had the macabre. more than... Yeah. I feel like the remake was slightly more cynical. Not enough to really detract from anything, but I think the original was slightly more lighthearted, and I think I like that about it. I think that might also be more of a period thing, too, of, of when it right. was made versus when this one was made. But there still is a nice softness to the remake, too. Like, the entire relationship between, even though it's only briefly seen, the entire relationship between Pancake and Moon and Mountain uh, Girl. Girl. (laughs) It's uh, Mountain Water. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, even little moments like when Gawain, probably the most repellent character of the group, when he has that moment of he remembers his past. You know, it's even just has these little touching moments. So I don't totally want to say it's more cynical. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't have to hold back as much as the original probably did because of the standards of the time. That's fair enough. I still can't decide. Okay. <laughs> uh, See, it doesn't help though that we that like I that neither right, one of us right. is really deciding anything. <laughs> uh, you guys aren't really helping me here. Um, okay, so grab a coin and uh, whichever one lands on heads. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'm going to go with the original just because I think just that dark tone is what I really like. But the yeah, the think, remake is just... It, it, yeah, I'm like, I just, I like the darker tone that I kind of miss in the remake. But they both just work in that same weird way that 
It's like See, I'll, six I'll be of honest, one, thought, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> I thought the remake was darker than the original. But, you know, ultimately thinking about it, I can't think of how. Uh, because the original, once you get that unleashing of the monster at the end, once the professor really unleashes himself, that's yeah. really the darkest moment. And, that, and that one criminal is left there trying to figure out where this thing is that he needs to kill now in order to yeah. survive. That's true. It's, the it's, remake doesn't have that. The re I guess maybe the the original goes darker, but it's such a brief period of it, and then it immediately pulls back up with the lighthearted ending. Mm. The remake is maybe maybe never gets as dark, but it stays consistently at that level throughout, as opposed See, to. I always found that there was darker moments in the original. Like you have the fact that there really is no honor among thieves, and the way that they kind of die and just you know they, they tip them over the side and they don't really seem to react to it and a guy goes off the roof and none of them react to it and it just it felt well, a lot darker i don't know if i'd say that it harvey definitely didn't react but you kind of get a little bit of reaction from marcus when and actually from some of the others too when they realize that um well but you even have the character of one round who you know yes he ultimately decides to go over and protect her but in doing so he beats the peter sellers character to death with a piece of wood that is true. Yeah, once you he know. once he thinks that Mr. Robinson had actually killed her, he kind of goes berserk. Right. But even then, he doesn't really seem to regret that, even as he's still saying he's going to protect her. We could probably sit here and talk for like... It is. Uh, it's, it's one yeah. of those films. It's, it's really hard. Every time someone comes up with a reason for picking the other, someone's like, but what about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of it, too, is like Alec Guinness and the, the way that he holds himself makes it the entire... He's such a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. yeah. But so is so Tom Hanks. Okay, so we all pick both. There we go. We're done. This is the only time we're allowed to do it. No one else is ever allowed to do it. We, bo we pick both. The end. I guess maybe this is the one that broke the question. Yeah. This is the first one to break the question. We can't use the question, question anymore. We broke it. If we all agree as a group that we can't pick one over the other, then I guess we've rendered the question moot for this round yeah. at least. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So maybe that'll be the new rule is if we all as a group agree that we can't pick one, <laughs> then we won't. This is what happens when you bring me on. I get everybody to agree and be happy and be loving. And yeah, but we all hated the original Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Noel, you're wrecking your point. Yeah, but we all agreed on that. That's yeah. true. Yes. <laughs> we all agreed on our dislike of it. Yes. It's okay. So this is the two films that broke the question. Yep. We can't pick. I don't want to say we love them both, but we enjoyed them both. Yeah. And both know. should be watched together. And then you can hold the two boxes together and make them make out. <laughs> and then, like, play Barry White in the background. Do, like, little and... YouTube remixes of both of them? <laughs> <laughs> Auto-tuned! I do think that, yeah, I, I think that definitely you gain something when you watch them both back-to-back. -back. It, yeah, it's, they mm -hmm. work well on their own, and as together, they really show what remakes can be and how they can respect an original, even when the original is already a really good film. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone is like, why don't they just remake crappy movies? Well, this shows how you can take a great movie and be true to that while still establishing your own thing. It's not a pointless remake. Right. I'm not overly fond of the assumption that somebody would only remake something because they thought the original sucked. 
Exactly. Like, you can remake something that was good because you liked it and you want to put your own spin on it. Right. If only people who were doing the remakes had as much talent as the Coen brothers do. <laughs> I may not like their work, but I could at least, you well, know, accept you, that they're talented. you also admitted to me that your exposure to their work is limited. Yeah. You haven't Mostly because I don't want to, they're not something that I'm interested in or they're not something I'd want to watch. But I can still accept that they do have talent in the stuff that I have seen. So. Okay. Because The Big Lebowski is awesome. <laughs> I do want to watch that again after watching this. <laughs> Everyone now needs to call me the dude. <laughs> okay, so this is the film that we can't pick one. Yep. So thus concludes The Lady Killers. <laughs> so, you, Evie, you want to tell us what we're going to do on the next episode? Next month is February, so it's, you know, Valentine's Day. So we're going to go really romantic and watch the uh, Canadian slasher film My Bloody Valentine from 1981 and then the 2009 remake. My Bloody Valentine 3D. Which I... My Blu-ray actually has glasses. My DVD came with glasses, too. And I'm like, um, I tried it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to bleed from the eyes. It's the worst kind of it's that. I'll give it a try for like 20 minutes and see if it works. But I know that if you make it 20 minutes, I will buy you a big cookie. I already know from Coraline that just doing the two strip 3D process on a regular DVD or Blu-ray doesn't work all that well. It made me feel like I was going cross-eyed. I made it through the opening credits and was like, well, that's the end of that. So anyways, looking forward to that episode. I really love the original and I haven't yet seen the remake. So I've seen the remake more times than I'd like to admit. Tessa, thank you once again for bringing the magical wonderment that is you. <laughs> Thanks for Never having leave me. me, Evie. Good night, Evie. Good night. To read show notes for this and every one of our episodes, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.com. The comment sections are open, so let us know what you think about the films discussed. I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I Hate Love Remakes is a Made of Fail production. Madeoffail.net. We were unpopular before it was cool. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore either. Whirling and twirling back through the corridors of time. Yes. It's wibbly wobbly brainy wamey. Okay, I don't know why I'm doing that.